You know, I guess I think I've always been a professional critic, you know, or some sort of professional appreciator or something. This is serious business here, man. Putting on a great show is the most important thing you can do. One great rock show can change the world. What do you do when you're one of the biggest rock stars in the world? Well, if you're Robert Plant, you take chances and never coast on your legacy. I'm Greg Cott. And I'm Jim DeRogatis. Former Led Zeppelin frontman Robert Plant joins us for a career-spanning conversation. Then Greg and I review the new album from TV on the radio. That's all coming up on Sound Opinions. This is Sound Opinions, and later on in the show, Jim, we're going to review this new TV on the radio album. They were part of that New York City wave around the 2000s, you know, the strokes and the yeah, yeah, yeahs. And here they are 15 years later, still making high-quality albums. They're one of the legacy bands of that era. Greg, they've been absolutely very consistent. But before we get to that record, we're going to bask in the glow of the golden god himself. You're listening to Sound Opinions, and that's the song Pocketful of Golden by our guest this week, Robert Plant. From his days as the singer with Led Zeppelin, Plant is one of the most recognizable faces and voices in music history. But since Zepp ended in 1980 with the death of drummer John Bonham, he hasn't stopped. Plant's solo career is one that's been defined by musical experimentation. Think about Raising Sand, his much-lauded 2007 collaboration with bluegrass musician Alison Krauss, or Band of Joy, his collaboration with folk singer-songwriter Patty Griffin, referencing his pre-Zep days with John Bonham. Jim, Robert Plant's newest solo album, Lullaby and the Ceaseless Roar, also brings Plant back to his roots, specifically the Midlands of England, or the Black Country, as he likes to call them. We started our conversation by asking Robert how he reconnected with that area after his long exodus to the United States. Well, you know, the thing is, I never left it from childhood to now, really. I just had these sojourns and these fantastic voyages that took me out on the, out into the wide blue yonder and then and, and always coming back. But I'm, I guess I made a decision about three or four years ago, having spent so much time in Nashville and around uh, that, that sort of um, energy of musicians down and around that sort of part of the, the American music scene that there was something there that offered me a new way of doing stuff. And I embraced it, and it embraced me. And, um, of course, I was kind of a little bit of the sort of new kid on the block, and the, it was a, quite a toy, <laughs> a funny treat to have me wallowing around all that stuff, mm-hmm. um, f- both for the people I was working with and for me too, you know. 
Uh, my jokes were all fresh and, uh, <laughs> and my accent was different and I cut straight to the quick when I wanted to do stuff in the studio and didn't do any too, too much of this sort of charming, graceful way of taking 10 or 15 minutes to get a change in the plan. So I, it was a kind of forthright, very fresh place for me to be and I enjoyed it a lot. And then I've, I have a great love of of America as a a physical and geographical and multicultural, multi-social place so I could explore, which I did. But I could never get my fingers into the soil. I tried it and tried it and tried it and I found I was always leaning back towards the Welsh borders and towards the kind of beautiful, cool, calm, wet, dark green to see a little bit of light in the sky from now onwards mm. in the UK, it's like a miracle. You have to do three Hail Marys if yeah. you see the sun. <laughs> so I was always looking. Um, but I made my escape and I made it finite and I was gone. So I went back and uh, embraced the whole thing. And, and I realized that for once in my life, even I knew I'd really done a 180 mm. or even a 360. If I did a 180, I'd still be going straight. Yeah, right. Right, right. We, we we don't usually ask personal questions, Robert, but your legend and perceptions that people have of you loom so large. I, so you say, you know, I moved back to the, to the Welsh borderland area, the black country. Do you live like in a castle with moats and a dragon <laughs> or do you have like a condo? I've had a few dragons and um, I paid them all off and, um, <laughs> and there are no condos. In fact, nobody knows what that word means once you get east of uh, Manhattan. Yeah. I just live in an old house in trees and with a beautiful dog and some fish and two chickens called Laverne and Ruth. It's fascinating to me as you as a kid growing up there, you always think the inspirations in the big cities, you know, had it to be London in the UK or New York or, you know, LA in in the States. But you're the kid with the armful of records in in school. You're finding this stuff. You see Mm. Bo Diddley, what was it, 63 when you first saw Bo Diddley? Uh Uh-huh. So you got around a little bit when you were a kid. Well, you know, I was lucky because even though it's sort of a kind of industrial heartland, I lived in a – I went to school in a town which was quite renowned for its um, experimentation in glass products and glass development on an artistic level. And um, so there was a college there that encouraged people from all over Europe. So even though it was pretty urban and pretty 19th century, this college – had quite a um, an eclectic bunch of people. So we would sit down and listen to Roland Kirk, We Free Kings or, you know, Sun House or whatever it would be. Whereas in the next town, people were still digging Jerry and the Pacemakers, you know. And <laughs> so I was very lucky. That was really the making of me because then I was able to hook up with a whole pre-hippie bohemian energy, which I cherish still. When I became a baby, my mother called me to her side She said, son, you're growing up now Pretty soon you'll take a bride And then she said, just because you become a young man now There's still some things that you don't understand now Before you ask some girl for a hand now Keep your freedom for as long as you can now My mama told me, you better shop around do you remember the first record that you bought with your own money that really changed your life? I, I bought Shop Around by The Miracles. Mm. And the flip side was called Who's Loving You that Michael Jackson did. And I think listening to Smokey Robinson sing Who's Loving You was mm. 
and the way that it was recorded and the play with the voices at the very end of that it's just stunning don't you know I sit around all with my head hanging down and wonder Well, you know, Greg and I both have had the privilege of interviewing you uh, several times, and one of the things that always strikes us is how vital music always has remained to you. In our experience, it's a very short list of people who are of the stature that you're at who stay current. Well, on a personal level, I mean, the thing is, the gray matter between your ears has got to be stimulated. So how wonderful to have been in such great company for so many different parts of my life and that the that uh, a mass of people switch on to various parts of it it's a lux- it gives me a luxury of being able to do whatever i want to do mm. and um uh, and i've also i'm very proud of of where i've come from and what i did pre zeppelin especially you know because me and bonham we got ourselves tuned up to be able to do anything yeah the way that we had played prior to um you know, meeting uh, the other two guys from the south. This Band of Joy thing we had going was pretty far out, and so far out that nobody would book us really very much because it was just not part of the British way. I'm going all around the So we did something quite different, and that gave us the expansion so that when we met the other guys, we could put our contribution into the early Zeppelin attitude. Been dazed and confused for so long, it's not true. Wanted a woman, never bargained for you. Lots of people talking, few of them know. Soul of a woman was created below And um, which was good and, and really having had that sort of tangent to come in from then When I was 19 years old then, you know And I didn't see any reason why if I couldn't compromise anywhere else, why would I ever compromise from then on? I have mm. to have a colourful, exciting, opportunistic future. Mm. And that means that bit by bit by bit, the kind of uh, the nostalgia trip for baby boomers is becoming more and more of a sort of lifeline, uh, which I appreciate, you know. Mm. So my my whole projection I cut the cloth according to the needs of um, uh, uh, my needs and also I know that by doing that, I go to a different place in the kind of whole spectrum of being out on the road and stuff. This, to me, uh, I think uh, is probably one of the most surprising and um, 
exciting and stimulating and also mostly heartfelt periods of my time as a singer. You're listening to Sound Opinions. I'm Greg Cott with Jim DeRogatis. We're here with Robert Plant. Robert, you talked about this new album and, 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 and the feeling on stage, sort of a, like a 360 for you. And it's interesting. I think you're playing, even the stuff that you're choosing from back in the past has a significance to you yeah. uh, that you're refreshing and bringing forward. You know, Baby, I'm Gonna Leave You, big centerpiece of the show. Baby, 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 I'm gonna leave you. I said, baby, you know I'm gonna leave you. I'll leave you in the summertime, leave you when the summer comes around. From what I've read, Robert, it seems like that was a big moment for you and Paige. Like, you're both music fans, and you're bonding on that particular song, that mm-hmm. particular... An old folk song, right? I mean, it was a big moment well, for you guys. Well, it's a Canadian singer, isn't it? I mean, I first heard it on one of those Joan Baez albums, I think. Yeah, I mean, the thing is, like, it's all about taste. It's like whatever gets you to wherever you've gone, you know. I listen to uh, internet radio. There's a, a, better, a better radio.com. There's a great blues... Uh, internet radio stream there and my computer jumped today and I found myself in the middle of a Rick James song <laughs> and I think to myself Shit. I mean I could have been listening to that forever mm, yeah. instead of just going out with him and getting wacky for, mm-hmm. you know for a couple of days so it's all about taste and if you can find people who are like-minded then you have a raison d'etre mm-hmm. otherwise just keep watching soccer <laughs> what was it about that song in particular that, that drew you together? What, what was the connecting point there? Well, I don't know about his angle, but I think it was just... I think Joan Baez, we know really her merit and her her worth is phenomenal. you know. And she is now in her place as she moves through her her time. But in those days, she was a huge influence to so many people. And uh, she was a sort of at the kind of pinnacle of um, a female approach to, which was getting broader and broader and bigger and more uh, sort of uh, well-known. But she delivered her songs with such, she was almost, it was almost like she was preaching Hmm. with this amazing vibrato that was almost untouchable. I just like the idea of singing my version of that, which, of course, was full of loads and loads of baby babies everywhere because <laughs> I'd just come out of listening to Dion for six years, you know. There were that many mamas and babies on board. I think the Melody Maker once counted one album and said there were like 342 ooh Uh So I guess we just bonded on that. On And also, the, you know, the chord progression's beautiful. It's a 
nothing new about it, but it's great. Well, it's brilliant, and I'm just wondering because when I'm thinking about okay, well, people are saying well, he should do Stairway to Heaven, and I'm mm-hmm. I'm thinking this is your way of showing people like this is where Stairway to Heaven came from. Oh no, no, I don't agree with that. No, I shouldn't do untouchable songs mm-hmm. because they're not mine to do. I should only do songs where I really feel that I was comfortable in them and I have some sort of connection with them in the matter of principle, you know, so what is and what should never be and stuff like that. But I don't want to touch stuff that is. Uh, I don't want to be in a cover band. I just want to mess with what I've already got. In my, but you're in not my afraid on stage to take material that's familiar to people into new places. Aside I, from I, Dylan, yeah. you know, Dylan's really the only other guy who will do that. Yeah. Well, I hear a lot of shows are a cure for insomnia, but uh, <laughs> yeah. I mean, um, I'll keep away from them too. I'd rather spend an evening watching Dick Dale and seeing most of mm. my contemporaries. But yeah, you know, I mean, I, I'm really happy. Touching on stuff by the Wolf, those great riffs that came out in the early '30s down in Mississippi with Willie Brown and people like that, Charlie Patton, and then coming forward into the Wolf in his prime. You know, mm-hmm. um, those are songs that we've been twisting and screwing up forever. Mm-hmm. And if you go back before my generation, back further, people have been trying to touch those things for a long time. You know, and. Mostly they're well-intended and train wrecks. Hmm. <laughs> because, uh, you know, I remember that when Howlin' Wolf and Muddy Waters and Sleepy John Estes, they did those albums in London, the London Sessions. And, I mean, those guys from the south side of Chicago, Sleepy John from Tennessee, you know, they hated it. Hmm. Because they were playing with English guys who we just about are about as blues-worthy, you know, as guys from... Peking, yeah. mm-hmm. you know we don't really have it, yeah. but we've got an adaptation which is pretty good. We'll have more with Robert Plant in a minute on sound opinions from WBEZ Chicago and PRX, and later we'll review the new album from another band that follows its own path, TV on the Radio. Never 
Welcome back to Sound Opinions. I'm Jim DeRogatis. My partner is Greg Cott. And our guest this week is the one and only Robert Plant. He joined us in the Sound Opinions studios while on tour with his band, the Sensational Space Shifters. His latest album is Lullaby and the Ceaseless Roar. Now, as some of you know, I'm not a musician, but I am a drummer. So I couldn't help but ask Robert about his Led Zeppelin partner, the great drummer John Bonham. First of all, you know it's what he didn't play that made it great. But it wasn't always like that. In the Band of Joy, when we were penniless and stealing milk from doorsteps and siphoning gasoline out of cars in the middle of the night, (laughs) he set his drums up at the front of the stage so there was nowhere for me to stand (laughs) because he was desperate to get the hell out of any life with me and his wife, Pat, used to say, you're not going out with plenty anymore. We're starving. Then he used to overcook it. He had all those sort Mm. of funny things that drummers do, you know. But his style was... You know, he played in dance bands when he was a kid. And then I was playing once at a ballroom someplace and um, I was pretty coquettish. And he came up to me and he said, you're all right. He said, but you'd be a lot better if I was your drummer. (laughs) I said, so you already understand that I'm in charge. You know, and I said, well, where do you live? And he said, well, I live in Redditch. And I said, oh, yeah, that's... 20 miles from where I live, that's too far away. You're not good enough. Uh, We couldn't afford the gas to pick him up. So we stole a little bit and robbed and nicked stuff from people when they weren't looking and stole bits and pieces and put the gas in the vehicles and off we went. He listened to Alphonse Mouzon, Bernard Purdy, guy from the Upsetters from Little Richard's Band, great session guy from L.A. Palmer. Yeah, Earl Palmer. Palmer. Yeah. And meaning, if you listen, if you study those specialty recordings and listen to the stuff that he Palmer was doing behind in the Little Richard band, his bass drum work yeah. is amazing. I mean, whoa. Ready, set, go, man, go. I got a gal that I love, so I'm ready. And then we'd have to have nights with Elvin Jones and uh, me and Bonham would used to sit there. Bonham, I know, I can't call him that. Bonzo, we used to just sit there and go, wow. And um, he was spectacular. How did you put this band together? Well, I ran away from the big sort of sports arenas of Europe in 2000, 1999. I quit smoking. I quit uh, my relationship on the road with the big time and ran for help. I was so dejected by everybody's idea of what I should do, it was starting Mm. to become like a wet blanket across my shoulders. So Mm. I started piecing um, the whole idea of continuum. It's always been like, as you know, know, I wanted to do something fresh. So, And uh, I contacted the drummer and I said, I'm looking for a guitarist who doesn't play like a rock guitarist. And he said, well, there's this guy who... called Justin Adams and so I checked him out and he was really the most integral part of the whole deal for me for actual futuristic idea of where to put my voice in a new world on Charlie Patton Highway the mist, the rain, the mud somewhere east of Tunica and I'm close to giving up the car goes round in a circle the road remains the same Help and consolation I'll turn it on again Turn it on 
friend, Charlie Jones, was a bass player, and he had worked with me with before I teamed up with Page in the 90s. He uh, suggested the Bristol connection. So in came Johnny Baggett from Massive Attack, and in came Clive Deemer from Portishead, and uh, Clive left and went off with Radiohead, and um, as time went on, Charlie Jones went off to Goldfrap, and so Billy Fuller came in on bass and Dave Smith on drums. Now, Dave and Billy and Justin had been playing with Joel Day Camera in this project called Juju. And when I came back in my to get my fix of the black country and the Welsh borders, I went to see him playing together as Juju. Mm. And my heart leapt. Mm. And I looked back at Nashville and I went, that's great, but this is pumping. Yeah. Hmm. And also, everybody was laughing. Mm-hmm. And they, these time signatures were far out, you know, and, and I was thinking, where would I put my voice in there? Oh, I know. I go, ah, mm, ah, mm. And I was back in those extended pieces that I did in the 70s. Yeah. And I, I thought, this is workers' playtime. Yeah. <laughs> I was like still singing good. Yeah. All this crap about I can't hit the notes. Where are you going to hit the notes in the middle of a Nashville album? Yeah. Mm-hmm. So I had to come into this to start expressing again and singing gibberish Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. i didn't have to be here today you didn't have to be here today i just like what i do and i don't i'd like to think that we could get across to some of those guys that and women who grab me in airports and hotel lobbies who think that i haven't done anything since raising sand but you know um that's the way it goes Uh, these are different days and i don't i do care but at least i'm free Mm. Also able to draw together all the threads, I think, that have interested you in in your life, especially in this re- last record, uh, Lullaby and the Ceaseless Roar. It seems like you could you could pull together everything that's interested you in the last 50 years and find references to it. But what's interesting about that is it's not juxtaposed. It's sort of blended together hmm. where you're creating sort of almost a, a, a hybrid that nobody's kind of come up with yet, which is interesting. Here, here you are having made music for fi- close to 50 years, you know, uh, coming up with something new. Was that a conscious thing where you're going, I'm, I'm, I'm still wanting to create new stuff or just because of this combination of personalities and musicians you were able to, to arrive at this sound? Well, the two are the same, really. I mean, it's just like um, if we hadn't got this combination, this chemical bal- this sort of melange that we've got, it wouldn't be like this. It'd be like something else. But... Uh, as it is, this is a it is an unusual thing, and and why should things be, uh, why should different strains of music be put into categories anyway? The one thing for sure this isn't is it isn't any one of the things that go to make it what it is. It's not folk, it's not, it's certainly not world music, but it's played by people who are fully aware of what's going on in West Africa. There's nothing polite about this, and I don't want anything to be polite or. Hmm classified you mentioned a couple of times the vacuous big time and that's and that's i mean that's what corporations do right they market in a narrow niche and they 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 there has to be a way to sell something right yeah but you've got to touch the hearts of people before you can do that and the thing is that this nostalgia thing is i'm the same i'll go see dion at the aladdin in vegas and I, i love everything he does but when he does sort of um the majestic, the flip side of the wanderer, and he does all those vocal things. I I start crying because mm. I want that. Yeah, I want to know why I sang the way I did when I was a kid. Your granddaughter is making music. Mm. Yeah, 
I'm still curious about this perspective on the vacuous big time versus the way you can make music and well, be happy I'm not and being create. rude. I can't be rude about the vacuous big time. It's not vacuous. It just means sometimes it's it's headless. Sure, it sure. Just but there is no big time for her anymore. I mean, the major label system is gone, and the mm. and the star making machines that existed are gone. Yeah. So when you talk to your 20 year old granddaughter and you're excited that she's making music, she loves to be doing it. Where do you see her fitting in the future as we move ahead with music and I art? Just, oh, I just think she needs to be continuing on her journey and uh, and enjoying herself. And she's a beautiful singer. And she said, well, what can you tell me to do? I said, just don't look at the crowd. Look at the exit sign at the back of the room. Hmm. That's never going to be angry. <laughs> <laughs> so, uh, yeah, ever onward. I mean, I think, you know, we're old farts. Well, I'm older than you, I suppose. But – um there's no point in having this sort of senior overview on stuff because round the corner could come. Look, the Mumfords, when they came, life came back. For, there was a pulse again. Blood flowed furiously through the veins. I mean, I played um, Telluride in the Rockies with the Band of Joy a couple of years ago, um, and we had to we had to close the show and. Uh, the penultimate act was the Mumfords, and I said, <laughs> "I said to the band, I said to the guys, look, if we don't do as well as them, my career's finished. You got to go out there now with leather trousers on, buddy." And, <laughs> and uh, anyway, it was amazing because they were so, they had so much to give, mm. you know, and the energy level, and they've spawned a million bands now, you know. Yeah, it's quite interesting, really, because that. Phenomena when it's that good and it's that strong, it's not. It's it deserves to be in everybody's imagination for the period of time that it's valid, you know. Mm. And and they they've got it. Whether they you know I know they're straining away now to make a third album and t- it's that third album phenomena. Yeah, oh, yeah I remember yeah, I it well. Yeah. <laughs> Only find it slips away to gray And hours they bring me pain You're listening to Sound Opinions. We're talking with Robert Plant. Uh, the other thing we need to touch on is um, you as a vocalist. They say you just keep going back to where you were, you know, in the beginning, you know, most of the time. You know, you've had a career as long as you have. There's no reason to, to learn new stuff. And yet it seems like you're still a student, still learning. You developed a whole new, new approach to singing in some ways. Subtlety, the nuance. Nobody thought you could sing that quietly, that effectively. Uh, I suppose if they listened to Led Zeppelin three, they would have realized that. But it, it yeah. seems like you've reached some new avenues. Where does where does that come from? Was that a conscious decision to to go there? Well, no, no. The, in the beginning, it starts off with me being seventeen when I cut my first forty five before Zepp, and then I just wanted to be. I was into you know, Sun House and and into uh, Ralph Nielsen and the Chancellors. I was into 
Escarita and Larry Williams, and mm-hmm. I wanted, I just wanted to be a nineteen-year-old kid kicking ass. You know, I'd never ever sung with anybody else until I um, went and started hooking up with Alison. So I didn't know you had to sing the same thing twice, the same, making records and keeping the same melody. And she used to threaten me with her violin bow and say, <laughs> "Why are you doing that?" And I said, "Well, why are you doing the same thing all the time?" She said, well, if we try to sing together, it'd probably be a good idea if we knew what we were both going to do. So I backed off. And also being down in that studio, Sand Emporium down there in um, Nashville, that first morning, I didn't know anybody at all. I knew Alison uh, a bit. And I was very comfortable with her. She's a great friend. Um, It's become a really great sort of... uh, cornerstone in my travels in a way and uh, T-Bone I didn't know him very well I knew he was tall and um, <laughs> that occasionally he popped in the studio so I, um, I was just in this room full of strangers and the first thing I had to sing was Polly the Gene Clark song and it was I went wow you know this melody is so haunting and it's so slow the snare drum was coming down every half an hour <laughs> and I was thinking how am I going to get enough breath to make this live and to do justice to the original song. And, and I think I had to really, you know, I had to do it right. And I didn't know how to do it, but I just I fell into being. I've heard those, so many singers over the years sing. If I think about Tim Hardin or Arthur Lee or, you know, I hear singers who didn't kick ass, but they still made the same point. In fact, more so by undercooking it. Leaves were falling just like embers In colors red and gold They set us on fire Burning just like a moonbeam in my eyes So, yeah, so I just started singing like somebody else could sing alongside me or I could get under their harmonies and um, and it took a lot of doing because it's tough when you've been a, a singer out front at the sharp end for a long time and then you, you've got to think about somebody else's voice and how you texture it mm. and, and listening a lot to um, you know to George Jones now and uh, people like that uh, uh, amazing singing and what a great guy, you know. I mean, some people drive around hotels on motorbikes with pythons around their neck, <laughs> but he used to drive to the bar on his, on his um, lawnmower. Lawnmower, yeah. Because they had taken away his license. Yeah. He would drive the lawnmower. I think that's very stylish. Yeah. He's got, there's less <laughs> likelihood of crashing rather than being on the ninth floor of the riot house in L.A. Yeah. Yeah. on a motorbike. We're talking to Robert Plant here on Sound Opinions. I'm Jim Deergottis. My partner is Greg Cott. Robert, on your bucket list, uh, I know you've talked about places around the world you'd still love to travel, sounds you'd still love to explore. Um, oh, no more sounds. I'm no more, fine where I am. Done with it. No, no, I know stuff. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I'm not going to start playing with Welsh women with a pointy hat playing the harp and stuff like that. <laughs> I, get it, no, all no. These, I got these amazing suggestions. You know, somebody from a world record label comes along and says, hey, how would you like to sing with some nose flute singers from... <laughs> Somewhere west of Fiji. Tuvan throat singers. Yeah, not for me, thanks, no. <laughs> but you're just saying maybe I won't. I'm not going to force it. Oh, I'm happy where I am. Yeah. You know, and um, if I'm not happy, exactly happy where I am, 
Uh, I can always go back a couple of steps, but I won't be doing that because I keep really good company. And mm. that's, that's far more important than a crowded stadium. It seems like you're especially proud of this one, and I know all artists might say that, but it seems like you're pretty you're, you're, you're toughest critic in a lot of ways. And this record feels like an accomplishment in some way, and it does pull these threads together. It does feel like almost, do I dare say an end cap, sort of like you know a career summation kind of record for probably, you? Yeah, probably. I mean, I haven't talked about social diseases or you know, <laughs> immunity to penicillin or anything like that, but of course... The whole perspective of turning round and embracing everything that I took for granted. It's not a summation. It's just eyes wide open. And um, I think in any environment, you can walk past the flora and the fauna of the world and never smell the roses. And I did that for quite a while because I was in the same place, you know, and then suddenly, I think because I was so estranged from it and it was such a deal to keep going back and I felt like a, a foreigner in my own manner, I'd suddenly started seeing everything for what it really is. Because people who come through that area of the Welsh borders and stuff, they go, man, this is amazing for one of the most overly densely populated places in Europe, definitely. There's still all this amazing physical emotional and in a way some great archaic vibration that pulses through from another nation of people mm. the welsh you know i mean we've all been on that island dna wise for a long time mm. you know and there are newcomers there now but and i'm sure there's a thread of that in me but uh, the thing is i am from there and i think when you find out that you actually belong that's pretty good Do you see yourself doing this the rest of your life? Keith Richards has talked about, I'm going to play till I drop. That's what the blues guys did. You know, this is this is a lifelong endeavor. You know, oh, <laughs> drop over. <laughs> no yeah. more dropping acid or no, no. Yeah, no. No, I don't know whether. I don't know. No idea. I can't see myself going to a sort of job creation scheme now. Um, <laughs> mm-hmm. I'm a. I, I I can't imagine not having the opportunity to say. Well, let's go to 29 Palms. and stay, Maybe we'll play in Palm Desert and stay up in the Morongo Basin somewhere. Mm-hmm. You know, uh, it's out there. There's a map. And probably the better places aren't even on the map. We've been talking to Robert Plant here on Sound Opinions. It's been a complete joy. Thank you, Robert. Well, just put the money in the bag. (laughs) (laughs) To watch video of Robert Plant's entire interview, visit us at soundopinions.org. And we want to hear from you. 
What are Plant's musical highlights for you? And what do you think of his career evolution? Call 888-859-1800. Coming up, a review of the new album from Art Rocker's TV on the radio, and I drop a quarter into the Desert Island jukebox. Sound Opinions, that is TV on the radio with the opening track of their new album. The song's called Quartz. Record number six is called Seeds. Greg, as you mentioned earlier, TV on the radio uh, came together in the early 2000s in New York City. The vocalist and multi-instrumentalist Tunde Adabimpe had been studying uh, film and stop-motion animation at NYU. He paired up with multi-instrumentalist producer David Sytek. The group became a quintet and one of the most consistently interesting bands in that New York wave that also included the Yeah, Yeah, Yeahs and the Strokes. Greg, many people wondered if we'd see another new TV on the radio album after 2011's Nine Types of Light because they suffered a serious loss with the death to lung cancer at age 36 of bassist Gerard Smith. They also had a lot of demands on their time. Cytex, a much sought-after producer. Tunde Adabimpe has been acting. They've all been doing a lot of session work. But they came together to record this album in Cytex's uh, now Los Angeles-based studio. And uh, they are proudly saying it is the best they've given us. We'll give our opinions on that shortly, but let's hear a song from Seeds first. This is called Happy Idiot by TV on the Radio on Sound Opinions. Stuck in the shade Where there's no sunshine
That is Happy Idiot from the new TV on the radio record, Seeds. It's an example of what TV on the radio does best, a blend of that melody with this quirkiness, this boldness, a little bit of an avant-garde touch. What I loved about this band for so many years, you know, you listen to a great single like Wolf Like Me, and it travels along, and it's going along, and, and you think, wow, this is a great song, and then all of a sudden a trap door opens up underneath you, <laughs> and you're somewhere else. That element of surprise, a revelation in every song, you are rewarded for repeat listenings. This is the most straight-ahead TV on the radio record, bar none, Jim. It is a very linear, melodic, verse-chorus, solo kind of record. And I miss the old weirdness. I miss the fact that they were so much about texture and change and surprise in their song. SciTech is a great producer. I see a balancing act going on here. They're trying to balance that old boldness with a new fondness for songcraft. I think people new to this band are going to love this record because the melodies just come one after another. But as a longtime TV on the radio fan, I'd stack Return to Cookie Mountain in 06, Dear Science in 08, Nine Types of Light, their last previous record, ahead of this one. It's a try it for me. Wow, you're you're absolutely nuts, Cot. I don't I don't get that at all. What are you talking about? There's no surprises. Listen to Ride, which is like a multi-part one. suite. One. We're talking about one out of uh, a dozen songs. They were going for something different here. A lot of people are saying, okay, this is the morning album for the loss of Smith, and there is a significant amount of dark, soulful music that reminds me of what's being done on the avant-garde edge of R&B. People like Solange and Frank Ocean and The Weeknd. But that's not the whole record. There There are also some really celebratory, hard-grooving tunes like the one we just played, Happy Idiot, which I hear as the thinking hipster's answer to Pharrell's Happy, okay? And it's not the only song. Laser Ray is another one. That's as good as TV on the radio ever has gotten. I reviewed it enthusiastically, calling it a masterpiece on my blog, and, and I heard instantly from two dozen people who said, I have not been able to stop listening to this from minute one. And those were TV on the radio fans like you claimed to be. I don't see how you don't think Happy Idiot is as great a song as they've given us since Wolf Like Me. I just don't see that. Good song, but it's not their greatest. You're just being grumpy today. This is a buy it record. In fact, buy it twice to make up for your lame, mistaken (laughs) review over there. I tell you, little buddy, this whole island is bewitched. As often as possible here on Sound Opinions, one of us takes a trip to the desert island and plays you a song we can't live without. Greg, you're about to paraglide down. What do you got for us? Jim, I was taking a nostalgia trip uh, recently, late 90s, early 2000s hip-hop, thinking about how cool a lot of the music coming out of the West Coast was at that time. I think it was a real renaissance in uh, 
underground hip-hop, you know, everything from uh, DJ Shadow and Lyrics Born, to this L.A. group, Jurassic 5, I think one of my favorite uh, groups from that era. They only made four albums. There are some indications that they are getting back together. They have played a few reunion shows. Who knows if we'll see another album from them. But in their heyday, formed in 1993, what a group. Very different from that West Coast sound that, uh, you know, defined the gangster rap era. You know, they really didn't have a lot to do with the NWAs and the Snoop Dogs of the world. They, they created kind of their own sound, uh, you know, conscious rap, whatever you want to call it, but also a real sense of musicality for great MCs in this group. I'm not just one, but four, and a couple of DJs who were creating a lot of the music, uh, DJ Newmark and Cut Chemist, who were creating these beautiful orchestrated backdrops. The finest album, their finest hour as far as I'm concerned, is their third album in 2002, Power in Numbers. And the track I'm going to play illustrates the complexity, the musical complexity, and the narrative skill of these MCs. You've got four different MCs rapping on this track, but they create a through line of thought and narrative about this thin line between lust and love, the awkwardness of a friendship blossoming into something more, and the two partners aren't on quite the same page. One is a little further ahead than the other in seeing this relationship change. It's a complex emotion developed beautifully by the four voices and the orchestrations created by the DJs. It's Thin Line from Power and Numbers by Jurassic 5 on Sound Opinions. Yeah, this is a lesson in friendship, the depths of a kinship. Where women and men begin with and then slip My pen drips as I scribble my thoughts on thin strips of emotion A fraction, seduction, attraction Eruption of passion corrupts if a lasting friendship's involved Would love to cross the line, but that's why we built these walls We've been friends for a long time, a very close friend of mine Love you like you was mine, but respect the thin line I love you like you was mine, think about you all the time Very close friend of mine, but respect the thin line Opposites attract when the female and male come in contact. Sticky situation, in fact. Trying not to let the feelings catch. But there's a thin line between both of y'all, so you respect that. And entertain the idea, but get brought back to reality. And could you really live with that? Decision based on intuition. You love and keep it distant. Hugging, kissing, friendship. And ongoing kinship. We was people to begin with. Disrespect was not intended, but your feelings sparked a sentence. Sometimes you're too intense in your quest to invent. The perfect man, please understand my rhyme is your repent. We've been friends for a long time, a very close friend of mine. Love you like you was mine, but respect the thin line. I love you like you was mine, I think about you all the time. Very close friend of mine, but respect the thin line. We've been friends for a long time, a very close friend of mine. Love you like you was mine, but respect the thin line. I love you like you was mine, I think about you all the time. Very close friend of mine, but respect the thin line. Too bad that we became friends first, and I'm not an expert. How relationships should work, but from the minute it was known, it changed the whole tone. The way we spoke on the phone, yo, it was cool, but I felt it wasn't enough. And I was stuck when your moms would pick it up. Over you, all my buddies would swoon, but I felt we were in tune. You let me up in your room, damn. But to me, girl, you're still off limits. No matter all the times that I hinted. Yo, what you doing after this? Infatuation was authentic, but yo, I just pretended so I wouldn't lose the friendship. Maybe I should spill all my guts Or write a letter, then tear it up Or do a song just to say what's up I want just a touch We've been friends for a long time A very close friend of mine Love you like you was mine But respect the thin line I love you like you was mine I think 
Thin Line by Jurassic 5 on Sound Opinions, a fine Desert Island jukebox pick, Greg. Also one of the best live bands in hip-hop besides The Roots, right? Absolutely. Right up there. What do we have on the show next week? Jim, next week we've got a band out of Detroit, Proto Martyr, that made one of the best records of the year. As always, we have some thank yous to say on the way out. Thanks to Adam Yaffe, Logan Jaffe, and Andrew Gill. Sound Opinions is produced by Jason Saldana, Robin Lynn, Anthony Martinez, and our intern is Alex Claiborne. And then slip my pen drips as I scribble my thoughts on thin strips of devotion. On Sound Opinions, everyone's a critic. So now it's time to hear what you have to say. My name is Trevor Adams, calling from Grand Junction, Colorado. I just listened to your turkey shoot episode, which I always enjoy, because I always have my own lists of turkeys of the year. I'm a big Strokes fan, so I was excited about this new album, Julian Casablanca's and the Voids, called Tyranny, and proceeded to be very, very disappointed. It's a big, noisy mess, especially coming from somebody who I know writes great songs. Really fun, catchy pop song. Everything I love about The Strokes completely missing on this album. I am calling in opposition to your statement about how bad Neil Young's song, Who's Gonna Stand Up and Save the Earth? I think that is very important information that needs to get out to the public. In fossil fuel, draw the line before we build one more pipeline. And fracking now, let's save the water. Although I am over 60 and one of the baby boomers, we were very active in those years, and we did it through music and tried to alert people. And music is one of the strongest multiple intelligences to try to get it into people's brains and make them think about the words a little bit. Who's gonna stand up and save the earth? Who's gonna say that she's had enough? Who's gonna take gonna stand up and save the earth. Hey guys, my name is Mike Shu. I'm from Worcester, Massachusetts, and I just got around to listening to your episode on Broken Bells, which was great, but what was really awesome was the Desert Island choice of Silver Bullet by Golden Palominos. Not only a fitting tribute to the late, great Jack Bruce, but also bringing attention to what I think is a really overlooked album, Visions of Excess, and just a great, great choice. So thanks for doing that. Here's to Jack. I'm raising my glass to him right now. 
Hi, this is Alan calling from Los Angeles, and I'm calling because I just heard your news segment about Taylor Swift and Spotify. Cause baby, now we got bad blood. You know it used to be mad love. So take a look what you've done. Cause baby, now we got bad blood. Hey, when I bought a CD from anywhere between $9.99 and $18.99 back in the day, if I listened to it 20 times, what's the numeric financial dollar value? I have a lot of young people in my life. And I know that they, 10 years ago, they did nothing but steal music. And now they pay $10 or whatever for Beats or Spotify or RDO, and they steal nothing. And that has been a big plug in the hole that was taking down everything that we loved about music. If you love like that... No more messages. To give us your opinions on Sound Opinions, call our hotline, 888-859-1800. We'll be back next week with more Sound Opinions, produced by WBEZ Chicago and distributed by PRX.